It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today, I have two special guests that are in the same location, and they are sisters, which is really special to me. I told these two beautiful women, Emma and Carla, about how it really resonated with me because I have a sister that I'm very close to, and I wish that she would work with me like these two sisters do. I feel a little envious of that dynamic because my sister lives far away from me on the other side of the United States. I only get to see her about once a year. And she has a completely different career that's very involved. So when I do see her, it's like in these little nuggets of time. And wow, just to be able to sit with my sister and do a podcast episode feels like the most amazing thing. So I'm curious, like, how long have you been working together, the two of you? And do you consistently feel like this is a positive experience or is there a lot of dynamics as being sisters that you have to work through as business partners? Well, I mean, we started officially working together on this business, the Merrymaker Sisters, back in 2013. Mm-hmm. 13. But really, we have been so close our whole lives. And we actually did start, you know, mini businesses, I think from the age five, you were five, Carla, and I was like seven or eight. We started selling friendship bracelets on the street. And we were those sisters that were friends, although we're three years apart. It wasn't like I was this big sister who got annoyed by her little sister. I always was very welcome. Come hang out with me, Carla. Even when my friends were there, I wanted her there. Whereas a lot of my friends would like boot their little sisters or little brothers out of the room. I remember that really vividly. And I was like, no, my sister stays. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing to work together. Yeah, I think it's actually whenever anyone asks us like, what's the best thing about your business? We always say the fact that we get to do it together and that's why we feel lucky as well. Like, you know, we all know like with business and anything you have to create, there's a lot of hard work involved. There's a lot of action steps that you have to take, but we get to do it together and we have this shared forever history for me. So it makes it really special. And then even when we were in our teens, Emma got me my first job, like at a sandwich shop. So she had a sandwich shop job. Then she got me a job at the sandwich shop. Then she moved to like an event center. And then she got me a job at the event center. And then I actually went to like a corporate government job after that. And then I got her a job at the corporate government job. And then it was then we were in those government jobs. And then we realized we actually hate these jobs. And we had then started the blog and we quit those jobs together, like on the same day to jump into this full time. So it's an ongoing partnership, this sister thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's almost like you're twins. You know, you have that dynamic that it seems like a lot of twins who are close to each other have. And do you have other siblings? Yeah, we have an older brother. We're like not as close, but when we were kids, we we were all very close. But we were never as close with our brother like this. Like we did everything together. And I think 
it's different, like a sister to a sister brother partnership because we had so many similarities, Emma and I, and we liked similar things. You know, we played tennis together. We did swimming together. We did everything together. So I think it was really special. Even, you know, when we'd hang out with our mom, mom was never really one to, you know, how some moms like take each kid like separately and like do special things. Whenever we did special things, it was always together. And we loved that. It was really special. Yeah. It's, Interesting hearing you share this and thinking about like what I can relate to with versus what I can't. And my sister and I are six years apart. So you are three years apart. Yeah, I feel like the dynamic based on your age difference can shift a lot of things. And that's likely what happened with me and my sister. But we did do so much together as a family. And I think that that makes such a big difference. As you mentioned with your mom, just feeling like you're treated equally and you're getting the same experiences really makes a big difference. Because while I did experience a lot of that, I also saw the contrast. And just to dive into a subject matter we're going to get into today about body confidence, my sister and I have very different body shapes. And a challenge that I had was it always felt like my sister was praised for being thin. And the more I look at definitions of what it means to be thin, I still believe I qualify as thin. I don't have a body size that even counts as midsize. I've always felt kind of midsize because I've been a medium clothing size girl, but I believe midsize, at least in the U.S., is size like 10 or 12, maybe on the lower side and up. And I've never worn clothing of that size. But there's a big contrast because my sister is somebody who has never really had to watch her weight. More recently in adulthood, I've seen her get nervous about like putting on some extra pounds. But when we were little, I would hear messaging from either my family or other people that we knew about like the differences between our bodies. And that almost created a bit of like jealousy for me, even as an older sister, right? Like you were describing the dynamics kind of like how the older sister might be annoyed with my younger sister. I don't think I was annoyed with her. I think I felt envious. Like, wow, it's so easy for her because she's got a smaller frame. And it was sad because other people pointed that out. And when you're young, hearing this messaging of people reaffirming like, oh, well, you're larger and you have to work harder to get this body size. And so much of your work is centered around body confidence, which was really the reason beyond the sisterhood that I wanted to chat with you today because your work around helping people feel more confident, but also like not making the workouts specifically around the generic superficial body transformation, but more around the internal transformation that yoga and Pilates and other types of fitness can give. Did you, the two of you ever get into comparison traps between your bodies? Yeah, yeah I think definitely. And I really feel like now we help each other, but for a lot of our life with our exercise and our diets, it was more like a competition mm. at some times. Like it was more like if I found out Carla had done a workout, I'd be like, I need to do a workout now. Or Carla had started a diet, I need to do a diet now. Mm. And I mean, Carla, you carried a bit of extra weight compared to me. 
Yeah, I like it wasn't pointed out. Like I can't recall anyone ever talking about it being like, oh, Emma's thinner than Carla. Mm. No one ever said that. But as an example, like I would notice, like myself, I would compare myself to my sister and be like, oh, like I have this stomach or like I can grab this fat roll. Like I remember doing things like creating donuts with my stomach and being like, why do I have this? And then like my mum would say things, it's just puppy fat, like you're just growing, like this kind of thing. Like it was never said like Emma is better or Emma looks prettier or anything like that. But I noticed like that I was different. And I guess as you grow up, you are surrounded by messages in the media, magazines, movies, and things like that. We grew up in the 90s and the early 2000s. So beauty ideal body was the waif. So like super thin, no butt, no boobs, literally like a coat hanger, like the clothes just kind of hung off you. And so like, I always thought that's what I should aspire to have. Like I should be thinner. And that was my forever journey from age 11 all the way up till like 22. I was on a diet. I always wanted to lose weight. I was never thin enough. Even when I lost like 11 kilos really quickly in 12 weeks, which is when I lost my period and we got really sick. And that was kind of the catalyst for so much as well, that diet that we did together. We can talk about that later. But even that wasn't enough. Even like losing 11 kilos, which is like 20 pounds in 12 weeks, was not enough. Like I wanted to be thinner. And I think so many, especially women, can relate to that. And thinking that thinness equals beauty and thinking that thinness is something we should aspire to be because it's in inverted commas, better than bigger. And really, we've had to unlearn all of that. And that is like our mission now is to help other people unlearn all of that because it's simply not true. It is an idea. It is a goal that is designed to keep us in our boxes, in our cages, and so self-absorbed just by the way that we look, that we forget about everything else happening in the world and all of our other goals and all of our other dreams. And then Emma, yeah, like for you, you also. Yeah. I mean, I developed an eating disorder. I think I was about age 17. I was bulimic and that continued in secret for many years up up until about 22. I think I finally stopped. And although I was always thin, I can reflect and look back. I was always thin. I had, what would you say, a uh, great body in terms of what society would say but I still thought I needed to lose weight. I had that whole body dysmorphia thing. I would look at any fat that overhung my pants and be like, that is disgusting. And I just think, gee, if only I knew the truth (laughs) back then, I would have saved myself so much pain, so much heartache. All those times that I hurt myself, really making yourself vomit, that's not healthy. That's very unhealthy in mind and body. I mean, if I had known the truth, I wouldn't have gone through that. I mean, it just felt normal though, because I had friends around me who did the same. It felt very, this is what I should be doing. And as a teenager, obviously our brains aren't developed properly either. So you not only are very influenced by what you're reading, what you're seeing, but you're not thinking rationally either. And then I was keeping it in secret. So I didn't tell Carla, I didn't tell my mum. If I had have told them, they would have helped me. They would have been like, what are you doing? We need to help you. But I kept it very secret. Mm. It's so amazing to finally begin and to really unlearn this stuff. It's completely life-changing and it's been an amazing experience for us to do it together. And, I mean, it's been very helpful too because obviously if you really have 
this very negative relationship with your body image, you fall back to that because it took many years to learn this stuff. So it takes many years to unlearn it. And, you know, every now and again, I still fall back. I think, oh, I probably should do this. I probably should not eat pasta tonight and I better be careful. Then it's like, hold up. You're okay. If you want to go out and eat pasta, let's eat the pasta. Let's enjoy life because this life is a one-time thing. And when you realize you're spending hours of every day or years of your life focused on what you look like and your weight, you're like, whoa, I'm missing out on so much life. Yes. And I'm curious, as you talked a little bit about your evolution as sisters and the work that you're doing, quitting the jobs and this inspiration you've had, what has it been like working in this space and especially with the intersection with fitness that seems to be so focused on losing weight and physical transformation? I certainly, looking back over a similar history that I had with binge eating and purging and all different types of dieting and and now really working on unlearning those things, as you said, which is really hard. One thing that I noticed is how much I would not only focus on food and restriction or just being obsessed with like everything that I ate, the fitness side of it, those thoughts like, I need to work out to burn off these calories we hear so much. I need to work out to look a certain way. That's everywhere these days. I mean, you mentioned the 90s and the early 2000s. Certainly growing up in that same time, I look back now and it kind of feels nuts. But sadly, it seems like there's trends going back towards that with women like the Kardashians. Everyone's pointing out how their figures are slimming down. They're no longer these voluptuous women with large behinds. They're now like becoming very, very skinny and wafy. And people are saying like, whoa, what are we going back to the 90s and early 2000s time? So part of that messaging is like all these workouts that you need to do in order to get that shape. So what has it been like for you two running a business in the midst of all of that messaging that never seems to go away. Yeah. Oh my. When you just talk about it, like you just realize how like BS it is. Like, oh my gosh, like, is there another way? And the good thing is, yes, there is another way. So we don't have to work out that way. We don't have to exercise in that way. I think we're kind of taught that exercise is only purely to lose weight and only for external transformation. But when you start to actually learn more about exercise and what it does to our minds and our mental health and our brains and actually all the internal functionality of our body, our physiology, like our hormone system, our cardio, our respiratory, all of the systems benefit from exercise and movement. And it's not just like one kind of movement, it's any movement. Like exercise is a great thing that we can all do. But when we first started our business in 2013, It was inspired by something called the paleo diet. I'm sure everyone has heard of that before. And we found the paleo diet to be something that really helped us back then. It helped us actually overcome our obsession with dieting, even though we were on technically another diet, but we didn't really think we were back then. And then time passed on and we built a business around that. Then we came to the point where we realized that this is still diet culture. Like we are still preaching 
to follow this way of regimented way of eating and you will in turn be a better human pretty much. Like eat this way and you will be better. Eat this way and you will lose weight. That was pretty much what we were promoting even though we didn't mean to. And then when we realized that, we were like, hang on a minute, we don't want to be part of this ever again. We want nothing to do with this. We would never want to inspire someone to feel the way that we felt for so many years. And so it was at that point we also rediscovered yoga and Pilates because we actually started yoga and Pilates with our mum back when we were teens. Like I was like 12 when I started with mum. We moved states. We started yoga and Pilates. We ended up doing our teacher training because we loved it so much. We were just wanting to learn more. And at that same time where we realized we were still so encapsulated in diet culture, we did our teacher training. We're like, hang on a minute. We can make a pivot here. We don't have to stay working on that stuff that actually brings us no joy anymore. We don't actually love to do that anymore. Why don't we build something with yoga and Pilates? And at the same time, we had discovered this practice called self-acceptance and it was like mind blowing. I couldn't believe that there was like this practice that I could bring into my life that could help me accept myself just as I am with no changes required externally. Like I was allowed to accept my body just as it is right here, right now. And I actually saw Emma practice this and really embody this self-acceptance and self-love before I did. And I still like back then I was like, how is she doing that? How does she accept herself? Like, this is unheard of. Don't we have to be on a diet? And I just remember thinking that and like questioning it. I think I asked you, like, how did you do it? Like, what are you doing? She was like, oh, do this. Like, I think I put a post-it up on my mirror and like wrote it in my diary and things like that. Like, I accept myself just as I am. And it was when I dived deep into my yoga teacher training and you were in your Pilates and you were coming to the yoga and you were doing the yoga classes that we decided to dedicate our movement to practicing self-acceptance at the same time. And the reason why this worked so well for us is because exercise used to be the polar opposite. Exercise used to be a self-loathing tool. Exercise, as you said, Winnie, was we'd go to the gym, we'd count down the minutes and we would build up the calories that we've burnt. Okay, I've burnt 200 calories. That means I can eat a piece of cake. Or I ate pizza last night. I better do a double workout. Like that's what exercise was. So when we instead dedicated our movement practice to practicing self-acceptance, like I'm in this warrior too, and I'm accepting my body right here, right now. I am enough. Here I am in my body. I am present. I'm breathing. Oh, this feels good. And it was a movement practice that made us feel good in our bodies and in our minds. And so when we did that, we were like, this is powerful. Like we should share this. And that's kind of how we developed Marybody. And we decided then and there that we would never do a before and after photo. Like we are not promoting our business like that, like all the other fitness businesses. We are not about that. We are not counting calories. We are not doing weigh-ins or measurements. We're not doing that. We're not talking about people's bodies with like, let's work that muffin top. Let's work those saddlebags. Let's get rid of these floppy arms. We're not talking about our bodies in a degrading way because actually our bodies are amazing. Our bodies take us on life's journey and that is what we should be celebrating when we move our bodies with our exercise practice. We should be grateful. We should be celebrating. This is amazing. Here I am. And that was the beginning of Mary Body. <laughs> wow. I mean, 
that was kind of a mic drop moment like that (laughs) that was was kind of a word moment oh it was amazing it was like listening to you like at a pep rally or something I don't know I was like thank you for my TED talk (laughs) yeah that was so good so I guess this is the end of the episode thank you for being on the show (laughs) oh no I mean I feel like we're just getting started because You know, that was another thing that really drew me to your work was that it's not about using degraded terminology. And I live in Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. here it's like the hub of prioritizing beauty and fitting into the status quo of what a body should look like. And when I was going to in person yoga classes, I was constantly battling that mentality, especially the last studio that I went to was, you know, they had a few different locations. I was going for years, loved it because they had very high quality spaces. You know, everything felt really clean and beautiful. It was just a nice environment to be in. The instructors were really good. Some of the best instructors I've ever had. I felt like they pushed me to all sorts of great levels, but I would often find that at one point in in most of the classes I went to, they would say something Mm. related to like, remember why you're doing this. Like you're earning that cupcake you can have later. Like there were these slip in terminologies. There would also be people all around me that would show up to class like wearing super expensive yoga outfits and looking really pretty that most people there would fall into the thin category And so sometimes I would be nervous about going to class because I felt like I had to get dressed up to go work out. And then I would worry that people noticed that I was a bigger body size than them. And again, I'm not even that big, but it's that comparison trap Mm -hmm. of being around somebody who's a few sizes smaller. And if you're in the minority of your body size, it can just feel really uncomfortable. And that in itself takes you out of the experience, right? To your point... You're there not just to, quote, transform your body, but the incredible benefits that yoga has on your brain, learning to be present, learning to be grateful, learning to breathe, you know, (laughs) like if you are so caught up in looking in the mirror all the time and weighing yourself in between classes to see how your body changed and measuring yourself. And that was something about my yoga experience that I felt really sad and I haven't been to an in-person class since COVID, actually. I started doing online classes, but I even found with those that I didn't like turning my camera on. The classes I was taking were with my favorite yoga instructor from in-person, and she would do her virtual classes on Zoom. And at first, at the very beginning of the pandemic, when she was doing that, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, I'm used to this. My camera was on. And she would like use that to tell you like how you could adjust yourself. And it was great because you were getting the same feedback that you would in person. But over time, I started to not want to turn my camera on. And that took me away from getting the adjustments I needed. But the reason was, is over the pandemic, my body started to change and I felt self-conscious about it. And so what you just shared is a reminder of how when we get caught up in these like superficial evaluations of our body and the comparison trap, it's actually stealing from us. Like 
I'm not able to improve my yoga posture because I'm too nervous about being judged for the way I look in my yoga outfit. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not even allowed to enjoy your yoga. (laughs) Like you're not even allowed to enjoy it. Even like the improvement, who cares? Not even allowing yourself to enjoy it. And it's like, hang on a minute. I am allowed. And like the thing is like, I feel like, you know, when we're talking about this comparison, I can totally relate to that. And so I know Emma can, and we had had so many conversations about this, about judgment, judgment of others. And it's really powerful when you realize that if you can stop judging someone else, gradually, slowly, but surely you stop to judge yourself. So anything we're like seeing in someone else, like if we're like, I'm smaller than them, I'm bigger than them. They've got a bigger butt than me. I've got a smaller butt. I've got this. I've got that. Oh my God. Like this, this, this. If you can learn how to rein that in and just be like, hang on a minute, I'm going to stop myself right there. No more judgment. Slowly, but surely you will stop judging yourself as well, which means the comparison that trap that we fall into will also stop because mm-hmm. comparison is just judgment. That's what it is. That's what we're doing it. That is better. That is not as good. That is different. I'm not like that. I am like that. These kinds of things. If we can learn to rein that in, then we can release that hold that we have on the comparison. And the only way to do that is to know that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So we have to be aware of our thoughts. And this is where yoga Pilates, meditation, our presence practices, so things that bring us into the present can help us because the whole reason why we want to become present is so we can release the suffering of what we create ourselves in our mind. Yeah. And I think, Whitney, you talked about the teachers saying, mentioning the calories, the burning, and we've been to classes where they say, work that muffin top, work that pouch. We're like, what the hell is even a pouch? It's your tummy. It's like, what the heck? Why are you calling my tummy a pouch? That creates an environment of comparison because then you think, do I have a pouch? Does she have a pouch? She definitely has a pouch. So you're literally there doing your Pilates, tap, lift, keep on breathing, feels good. Oh, now I'm thinking about a pouch. Now I'm thinking about a belly that looks like a pouch. Now I'm thinking I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. That's the words that are going on in your mind as you're moving your body. So instead of allowing this time to be present and grateful and just to enjoy exercise or just to have a workout, it can be just that. I'm just going to do this to work out. Now it's kind of like this self monologue, this self talk of I'm fat and I'm ugly and I need to change. Mm. And And yeah, make sure you add on like I'm fat, I'm fat. And that is a bad thing. Yeah. You know, like We've got to add that on as well because since when is like having some fat a bad thing? Yeah, that really frustrates me. And it's not that we're anti-weight loss. We are all for weight loss. We just care more about how you do it. We're all about health and you can be super healthy and thin and super healthy and bigger. You can also be super unhealthy and thin and super unhealthy and bigger. So it's not like if you're fat equals unhealthy. That's not true. In some cases it is. And same with when you're thin, like this is not the definitive answer. There's so much more to our health than what we look like. There's so much more to our health than the weight on the scales. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to realize this, that really helps the unlearning because really we grew up thinking thinner is healthy, which is completely not true, especially when you're forever eating like 99% fat-free stuff filled with chemicals 
or maybe you're counting your calories and you're drinking diet shakes opposed to eating meat and veggies and avocados, which they're high in calories, but they're really good for you. Mm. So it's when you begin to unpack all this stuff, that's when you can step forward and move through this kind of mess of diet culture and begin to see with clearer eyes, clearer heart, clearer mind of the truth Mm. that all this stuff is kind of built on making money. It's marketing. It's It's designed to make (laughs) us feel bad. Yeah. So we buy the product. I'm curious actually on that note for you running a business, knowing that so much of that marketing drives sales, how do you drive traffic to your business and get people to sign up for things if you're not using those tactics? Yeah. Well, it's such a good question. And, you know, like we knew that this was going to be harder. Like we knew that we weren't going to build as fast or grow as fast as we could. Because if we relied on those traditional marketing techniques of a fitness business, I know that we would probably had had, I would say, more members. But I don't think that we would have the membership that we would have today of like these people who are like family. Like our members are like, we are so close with them and They're very aligned with us and we never really have any issues with our members, which I think it's because they know what they're getting in for because we just tell them what we're about. So the easiest way that we have found to talk about Verybody is to tell people what we're not. And like, that's exactly what we were saying. Like we don't do before and afters. We don't do measurements. We don't talk about burning calories and we don't make you feel like you're degrading yourself in your workout. And I think the reason why that works is because people are getting sick of this BS. Like like you, Whitney, you're sick of it when you go to your yoga class and then suddenly you're in this bliss zone, you're zen, you feel so good. And then they talk about a cupcake and how you have to work it off in your warrior two. And you're like, hang on a minute, I was feeling really empowered in my warrior two. Now I just feel like I should look at my stomach and look at my legs and, oh yeah, I look, I don't like this. Like what's wrong with me? And then it just completely shifts the way that your workout was feeling into something that isn't enjoyable anymore, that actually makes you feel like you are not the only one. We're not the only ones who've experienced that. Everyone I know who has gone to a gym has experienced a moment like that where their instructor has made them feel worse about themselves. And so if we tell them, hey, we're not going to do that, then they go, oh my God, I didn't know that even existed. Wait, you're not going to make me feel like after my workout? You're actually going to help me celebrate my body and help me feel more grateful. And like, that sounds really good. That sounds really different. Let me give it a try. So we just talk about that and we talk about our own experience, our own story. Like storytelling is the greatest way to talk about anything. We're on a podcast. We all know that, right? So I think that was kind of the idea when we stepped into Merry Body. We had these solid boundaries where we weren't going to cross these lines. And that also helped us in the way that we were going to market it because we knew what we weren't going to do. So let's just focus on what we are going to do. And that's sharing our story and telling people, hey, if you're sick of feeling that way, there is another way. You don't actually have to work out like that. Actually, your exercise can be completely different. So that's how we went about that. (laughs) That's so amazing. And you mentioned podcasting. I'm curious, What episodes and what topics do people seem most interested with your podcast? Because that's always such an indicator of like, who's listening, who's paying attention to you and also like what they need. So what have you learned about people through doing your own podcast? Yeah. I mean, we talk about so many different 
topics, like one extreme to the other, but I know a lot of topics around binge eating, enjoying exercise, and then also things like time management (laughs) and becoming a morning person. So it's like those things stand out in popular topics. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And we also, one of the most popular episodes is an interview with our friend who's a psychologist and that was specifically about body image. And it's just really cool to get like a psychologist's understanding of this and like how we all kind of were created to think this way and how we can unlearn it. Um, That's a very popular one. But yeah, it's very much like the body image stuff. Like we've got like an episode called like the pizza episode, the pasta episode, like they're really popular just because we're pretty much talking about how we went from restricting ourselves so much, going through like restriction, restriction, then binging, then binging to now being able to just not really think about what we eat. Like it's freedom Mm. to not have to like plan out like your next meal or to feel anxious or stressed or guilty about what you've eaten prior. Like that's pretty amazing. And to be able to share our story, I think really helps other people realize that they can actually unlearn that stuff too. Yeah. I think that pizza episode, that's probably one of my favorites because it was so huge, like to go from years and years of dieting, all that restriction and promoting it, making it part of your business and your livelihood, really believing in it. And then to have your beliefs kind of turn upside down and then to be able to eat a pizza without feeling guilty. That was a massive shift for me. Mm -hmm. And I know for you too, Mm -hmm. Carla, and to be able to share that with people and then get so many messages back from people. And just to say that, you know, it really helped them. I mean, that was amazing. I think anything with a personal story always does create that kind of attention and interaction, which is always cool. Even if it's not the most popular, if you get more messages or like more people telling of their stories, that's really cool. I think we're in this online world, but there is so much connection, although it might be us over here in Australia or you over there in America, like we're connecting and it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And I love that you bring up the pizza. I was thinking earlier when you talked about paleo because I've been on a plant-based vegan diet since 2003, I think. And that for a while was a huge part of my identity. And over the years, especially when I was heavily creating content on YouTube, I did a series about weight loss and it was about me trying to understand why it was hard for me to lose weight because it's always been a struggle. And I went through all these books and looked at all these different angles. And now I look back on that series and I'm like, wow, I hope I didn't do any damage. You know, like I think I still had my natural way of being honest about my own experiences. But I wonder sometimes if like I was just focusing too much on the weight side and then noticing other things I did. This is really popular in Australia too. I'm not sure how much you know about the fruitarian diet, 80-10-10. But I remember in the 2011 or 2012 when I did that, there were a lot of big Australian creators at the time. <laughs> so they were like, oh, he's talking about that way of eating. It was like a very big trend on YouTube. So I did that for a few months. And during that time, I thought it was like the greatest thing. Is that just but, eating fruit? Yes. And I mean, I think you could still have some veggies, but it was very heavy on like watermelon and mangoes and oranges and avocado and tomatoes, like all of the like technically fruit plants and all that stuff. So 
it was fascinating. And and there were times where I enjoyed it because it did get me back into eating and appreciating fruit. I've never actually been a, a big fruit person. I don't typically choose except for berries. I just don't eat a lot of fruit. So it was kind of fun to like indulge in all those foods and learn about the nuances and different types, but it was certainly restrictive. And a lot of people developed disordered eating as a result of that big trend. And then I swung in a completely different direction more recently and experimented with the keto way of eating. And I was doing it plant-based But I actually found it, something I think that you said about paleo eating earlier, and correct me if I misunderstood, but I found that by going keto, I actually started to eat foods that I considered bad, like oil. There's a lot of people that eat plant-based that are very anti-oil. And for years, I was afraid to like eat olive oil or coconut oil, avocado oil. I was afraid to eat too much fat because 80-10-10 was all about like a high carb, low fat. And I was trained through all this messaging that that was like bad to eat like a lot of nuts or bad to eat avocado. And so when I did the keto vegan diet, I was like, this is the greatest thing. Like I can eat as much coconut oil as I want. (laughs) I, (laughs) I, I felt all this freedom, even though it was kind of a restrictive diet. And that actually helped me move to where I'm at now, where I have a much more intuitive way of eating. And your pizza story reminded me of that too, because it's so hard to find a good vegan keto pizza. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. That's impossible. (laughs) It exists, but I also am blessed to have food sensitivities. So like, of course, like the vegan keto pizza would have ingredients I cannot comfortably eat. Does it actually taste like pizza? (laughs) Well, here's here's the thing. I mean, first of all, you're eating vegan cheese. So it depends if you think that tastes like cheese. So most vegan cheeses are technically keto, but the trouble was the crust. And I mean, I could go on and on about all these like experiments with crust. But I also had a moment where I started to find the things I enjoyed about keto and keep them in my life, but add in things that I wasn't eating like rice. I started to have some rice occasionally. I started to eat some more quinoa. I started to like add in chickpeas, for example, like they can make a be added into crust. And then I was like, wow, I can find a balance and move through these different ways of eating that I've tried in a more intuitive approach so that if I want to have a high carb pizza, I do. And I'm not going to like make a big deal out of it. And it was almost as if the restrictive eating helped me get there. Did you find that at all with paleo? Or did you completely like go away from paleo? Are you like not at all in the paleo way of eating? I think what restrictive eating and these different diets show, so it's like you move from one restrictive diet to another. So when you make the switch, it feels very free because now you're allowed items that you used to not be allowed. But then you realize, hey, it's still restrictive. So if you continue on that path of just switching diets, it's still going to come to that point where you feel restricted. For me, letting go of the term diet completely and connecting to, hey, I can eat what I want 
and I can choose the foods that nourish me and know that like my body is different to your body is different to your body, Whitney. It's all part of it. Like it's got to be. Our history with food is has got us to the point where we are. But I really think diets are terrible. I just don't believe in them anymore. I think they completely suck. I think they make you very obsessed. They make you obsessed with food and that is just not healthy. I'm with an Italian man now. So hence why pizza and pasta has become part of our lives. And it's been such an amazing thing for both of us because the way Italian people relate to food is so different to Australia and America. We take the good stuff and then kind of ruin it with the Italian food, but we don't take the magic of the culture and the love around food. And that's what our food is missing. It's missing love. It's missing the social aspect, the connection, the family. When you add this to your food and like, you know, the freshness of produce, when you care more about where it's from, this shifts everything and food no longer becomes, this is going to make me fat or skinny or good or bad. Or it's going to make me feel good or bad. It becomes this new layer and level to life and love, which is an amazing experience. And if you can somehow tap into that or discover it yourself, that is a really beneficial way to move from the obsessiveness, the dieting to a place of just enjoying food and just remembering that what is life for? Like, what are we doing here on this planet? It's certainly not just about what we look like. It's certainly not to be thin. I'm sure there's more from each and every one of us that we can give out to this world, that we can create, or we can just help people feel good, or we can just do, I don't know, just create, think, live instead of being obsessed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's like realizing that, like, because our past was like I was thinking about every meal and I was planning every meal and I was thinking about yesterday's meal even though it was today and last week's meal and I think as Emma said like there's so much more to life so if you can think about the time you spend thinking about food which we did this calculation I think one time and it was really like an eye-opening thought it was like oh my god I spent like three years of my life thinking about food because I've been so obsessed with it like all I do is think about food every day all day that made me realize like, hang on a minute. Like, I don't want to keep living this way. Like, is there another way? And yes, there is. Like you can actually wake up and not even think about breakfast, like whatever, just go on with your day. And then like suddenly you're hungry and then you open the cupboard and then you just like get the food out. But that's the first time you've thought about it. Instead of me being like calculating, looking at my app, like how many calories, like, okay, should I go for a run before or should I like do my workout after? I'm just not sure. And like, okay, now I've done that. How many snacks can I have? Okay, I'm going to have an apple and then I'm going to like maybe add like a teaspoon of peanut butter because that's this many calories. And then, okay, I can definitely do that. And I've already done my workout, so I don't need to do that anymore. Okay, now I'm going to go do that. And like, that's and, what your life is. And then it, there's also <laughs> extensions to that. Then it's like, I can't eat after 7 p.m. Oh, and now I need to eat in this small window of time. I'm fasting. So I fast until this hour, only black coffee until then. Like it just comes to a point where even though these healthy things, inverted commas, healthy, they become totally unhealthy because you're forever stressing about them. You're forever thinking about them. They're not healthy at all because you allow no space to think about anything else. You have less space for love, less space for big ideas, less space to just be doing nothing. We don't even have time to do nothing because we're just thinking about 
eating before 7 p.m. I mean, I'll talk about my partner again, the Italian, because they eat so late. Italians eat at 9 p.m. It's crazy. I think that's mad. But I was very paranoid at the start. I was like, I could not possibly eat past seven. I know that's bad. I'm going to put weight on. And I mean, that was a big like, whoa, like, is that actually true? Like, probably not. I don't think so. Yes, maybe I'll digest a bit later, but you know, an hour later, I feel like that's going to be okay. Mm. The 9 p.m. thing, I don't know, maybe when in Italy, that makes sense. Not here in Australia because I'm in bed by 10, but... (laughs) Yeah, I think like the last thing we'll add on there, like, Whitney, we'll let you talk because like all we do is talk, talk, talk. When Emma was describing that, it actually made me feel stressed. And like that then reminded me, oh, yeah, let's talk about stress for a moment. Mm -hmm. We are forever living in our sympathetic nervous system in this Western world, which is our fight or flight. So we are forever feeling like the cortisol rise, the adrenaline rise. And, you know, initially we feel really productive when this happens. Like when I'm checking my emails and I feel really stressed and like, oh my God, like look how fast I'm typing. Ah." And like my breath is not steady. It's very into my chest and I'm feeling stressed. You know, we're also feeling that about our food and we're feeling that when we're driving and we've got the red light and we're late. All of these things are causing stress in our mind, but also the body is responding because it thinks we're in danger. It's like, oh, hang on a minute. Let me give you some cortisol. Let me give you some adrenaline. Here you go. It's not healthy to be living in fight or flight all the time. And that is what is becoming more and more common. So we need to learn to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system. Again, this is why practices like yoga, Pilates, and meditation are so powerful because we learn to breathe properly. We learn to breathe deeply. We learn to breathe in and out through the nose. That action alone turns on the parasympathetic nervous system, our rest, digest, our rejuvenate. This is where our cells can actually recreate. We can't do that in fight or flight. So Even just the obsession with food and all of this like thinking around food switches on that fight or flight, which then therefore like we can't even digest. So we're eating and like our body isn't even digesting this food properly. So like it's very counterintuitive, like this obsession of food because it's just not like really allowing the body to do anything properly or allow any joy at all. So it's like we're not functioning properly and we're actually not enjoying this one life that we have just because we're obsessed with the food that we think we should be eating. It's fascinating because it's become so complex. I mean, what you're pointing out here is how food can be joyful and simple, just like exercise, but we've added so much complexity to it all. And probably because of a capitalistic mentality of like, All these people trying to think of how they can make money off of us. They make us afraid. They keep us stressed. Like they make us think, okay, we have to go do this to relieve the stress. But what if the things that we think are making us feel good are just adding more stress to us? And I think many of us just get caught up in such a loop. It's interesting timing in this conversation because as of the day that I'm recording this with you, I am going on a retreat Cool. And I'm so excited because I feel like the timing of talking with you is so perfect because tonight as I'm trying to prepare myself for leaving and traveling a far distance and getting to a new place, like all of that is causing anxiety and stress for me. But the whole retreat is designed around 
realigning with yourself, disconnecting, reconnecting with yourself and tuning in. We're doing breath work. I mean, like, I feel like the two of you would love, I wish I could just (laughs) invite you spontaneously to come join me. But as I was thinking through this experience, my goal is like, how can I turn off some of these stresses and maybe not rush myself to get to that point, but I'm eager for it. Like, even if I just get a few hours of that blissful experience. And as I was thinking through that, I felt sad because I have a great life. I feel happy and grateful and at peace most days. But what if that version of joy and peace that I'm currently experiencing is actually like layered in with all this stress that I don't even know I'm experiencing because I become so used to it. Like, I think that's part of the problem. As you were talking, I'm thinking, wow, I spend a lot of time thinking about food. And I have for many years, especially since I went plant-based, it required me to like think about a lot of things and plan. And then when I found out about my food sensitivities, I almost found myself in this place of like sadness, like, oh, I can't eat that because it's going to mess with my gut. And then part of that too is wondering how much of that is imagined because we're told over and over again about like what foods are going to make us feel good. Like what if we've just developed all these beliefs around food that aren't even true, but now our body's responding to our thoughts. So we almost lose complete touch with ourselves and we don't even know what the reality is because we're getting all these external messages that are probably for profit. So what is your advice to people about really getting into the core of themselves so that they can have more intuitive experiences with food and movement and like quiet all those external voices? Gosh, such a good question, Whitney, and like such a big question. Big question and not it's not simple at all, really, because everyone is so different and there are requirements at times in life where you can't eat certain things because it'll make you sick. I mean, I got found that I had a gluten intolerance and that kind of like that got us into paleo, that intolerance. Fast forward, I've done another blood test. I don't have a gluten intolerance anymore and I'm eating gluten. So what does that show? I mean, we have many doctor friends and they're all very different, right? You talk to one doctor and it's completely different to another. One doctor will say too many people are cutting out gluten and it's completely not good for them. They shouldn't be cutting this whole food group out. They can eat it. It's marketing. And then obviously there's another doctor who says just cut gluten. It's really bad for you. So, I mean, there's different advice left, right, and center. So I think it's really important to try and tune in Obviously, don't ignore medical advice. We will never, ever say, listen to us <laughs> above over, a doctor. over a doctor. Always listen to your doctor. And if you don't really like what they say, maybe get a second opinion. There's no harm in that. Get a third if you want. If you're not feeling right, always seek out those expert help. But also question them as well sometimes. If you feel like the answer isn't really helping you, go get some more advice, question their advice. Remember, we are all human and there's new developments all the time in science, right? Like imagine like what people used to do like 50 years ago, completely different to now. 
hello, the 99% fat-free thing. Like fat is good for us. We need fat. Oil is good for us, not vegetable oil, but olive oil. Oh, my gosh. Olive oil is life. The Mediterranean <laughs> diet. I mean, like, I love olive oil so much. I'm like drizzling it over everything. But it's definitely about questioning and questioning your beliefs too because what created those beliefs? Was it a business that was making millions of dollars selling your product? Maybe. And this is the world we live in, unfortunately. We can't change it. And it's not necessarily all bad. Like capitalism is bad. It's good too. Like it just is. If you're in it, okay, let's navigate it. Let's question it. Let's get connected to ourselves. And again, meditation, yoga, Pilates, breath work, these are the tools that help us connect. Giving yourself time to look inwards and to kind of take note but not too long because sometimes we reflect too long and we beat ourselves up about it. Mm. It's like we can't change the past, but if we want to make a change, we can. We just have to take that action forward. So I think it is just about questioning the beliefs. I mean, I haven't really given a good answer. It's questioning, it's raising awareness, it's getting the support you need, and it's tuning into how you feel and realizing that what you thought was the answer might not be the answer. Yeah, and I think also it's like, In the moment that we questioned like the time we spent like thinking about food and worrying about food, planning about food, we realized that we wanted to actually do something more with our lives. Like we were like, there's more to life than just thinking about food. And I think that was like a big realization for us. Like it sounds strange, but I know that that was our truth. Like we were obsessed Like we would only think and talk about food. There was very little time and space for anything else. And it was that realization that we wanted something more for life. Like we wanted to experience life. I didn't want to be thinking about food all of the time. I didn't want to feel restricted. I didn't want to say no to my friend's 28th birthday party because I was worried about the menu. Like I wanted to say yes. I wanted to go and eat the food and not worry about like if they were going to have grilled chicken and vegetables for me because if I go off my diet one day, it's going to be the end of the world. So I think it's just like questioning like how do you want to live your life because how we live our days is how we live our weeks, which is our months, which is our years, which is our lives. So everything we do each and every day, it matters. So if you want more space for relaxation, Okay, start a five-minute meditation practice every second day. That will make a big change in your life, adding those five minutes. If you want to start running, if you like to run, I do not like running, then schedule in a one-kilometer run. Like, Do that, and that will make a big difference because how we spend our days is very important. So if you reflect on your day and you think, man, I was just obsessing about my food. Like, I don't want to live a life like this. Good. You have the awareness. That is the first step. Now we just need to work out how can we make a slight change? How can we add something different, which will take over the time that we usually spend thinking about food? Sometimes it's not about taking away. Like sometimes it's not about being like, I've got to stop thinking about food, full stop. Sometimes it's about what else can I add that distracts me from this, which is more joyful, which is more fun, which is new. So I'm learning something that can also help because sometimes it's so focused on like restricting and taking out when in fact, maybe just add in and then crowd it out. 
It's so fascinating where my mind is going as you're sharing all of this. I'm just looking back over all these different messages, whether it was from YouTubers and other influencers. This podcast marked this big transition I made from being seeped in influencer culture and in the health and wellness realm and just being surrounded by so many people that were promoting these ways of living that you're now pointing out as being maybe not the answer that we thought they were at the time, you know? And like, I think as the world is noticing and understanding how influencers monetize, sadly, a lot of that work is based on their personal gains. And as all three of us have experienced saying things in the past that we now no longer align with and wondering, like, did we cause damage to people? And I feel like I'm on this mission now to change paths and really get more in alignment, not just with myself, but the messaging that I'm passing on to others. And I actually love that advice about questioning things like, does what your doctor say really align with you and not always taking that at face value, getting some different opinions really taking that all into consideration. Unfortunately, it also can become very confusing. But I think the other answer that you're revealing here is it's just a big experiment. And that intuitive way of eating and the intuitive way of movement as well is like tuning into yourself and asking like, does this feel good? Is this how I want to spend my day? And tapping into that joyful purpose. I think if you ask most people, they're struggling with their self-esteem and their confidence. They never feel good enough. And probably deep down, they would just love to feel that. They want the relief because it's so stressful to go about every day worrying if you did a good enough job, if you look good enough, are you working out enough, are you whatever else, the list could go on and on. Are you wearing the right clothes? Recently, I felt like that is so constraining. That actually makes me feel miserable. (laughs) But when I do go downstairs and just open up the cabinets or the refrigerator and pick out the food that most appeals to me in that moment, it does feel freeing. And just like when I move my body, I don't have to do it all the time. In fact, as much as I've heard this messaging like of a certain amount of movement you should have every day, I know there are benefits, but if I don't feel like moving my body, it might be causing more harm than good to force myself to do something that I don't actually want to do. And so I find not having a schedule or a regimen actually works best because personally, I like the fluidity of life. So I'm curious for you too. Do you have like a lot of structure in your life? Do you advise on that or do you have more of a free-flowing intuitive way of approaching your days? Yeah, I mean we love to work out in the mornings. So we just find that when we do that, we set ourselves up for a great day and I find like when I've feel like accomplished after my workout, like I have this really great sense of motivation and momentum for the rest of my day. But in saying that, I don't work out every day or every morning. It's just like, that's just my preference. And I too welcome in fluidity. So it's almost like having 
it's not a plan, but it's like a draft. And like, you kind of have this idea, like, that's probably what I'll do. But you know, if something comes up, like if my friend asked me to go for coffee, like I'm going to go for coffee. Like I'm totally going to do that. I'm going to skip this workout. It's okay. And when you release the idea of diet culture and the regular kind of, I guess, fitness culture within diet culture, you allow that fluidity and that flexibility. And you realize, oh, if I skip a day, again, it's not the end of the world. Like that is not going to be the worst thing for you at all. And I think when you say yes to things like social occasions or you're flexible and you're fluid, it actually does welcome in this sense of freedom. You're like, wow, like I'm not attached to this. This is wonderful. Mm. Like I like to work out in the morning, but I don't have to. Like I'm choosing to. So I think that is a really great way to feel. I think as soon as it feels like a chore or something that you have to do and not something that you get to do or that you're looking forward to do, you're not going to actually want to do it ever. So I am all for wanting to do your workout. And that's why we're also very passionate about each individual finding a way of moving that they actually enjoy. So we teach yoga Pilates meditation. Not everyone's going to love that kind of movement. Some people will. Great. Do it. If you don't like it, don't do it. Do the thing that you like. And so I think that that is another really big uncovering of diet culture because we're told, oh, hit workouts are the best. You have to do sprints. That's the best. You have to do two, 20 minutes of meditation morning and night. That is the best. So we're told all of these things, but actually what if we just did what we enjoyed? Mm. I mean, it's the same thing with the food, isn't it? There's so many messages throughout our whole yeah. lives of what exercise is the best one to do and how long and how long and if it's every day or if it's three times a week do this and two times a week do that we like to just keep it simple i mean my goal is to add movement to my every day and each day that movement might look a little bit different i would do pilates at least 3 to 4 times a week at home i might do one yoga session a week I'll do walks. And it's like, you know, you wake up and see what you feel. If it's a beautiful sunny day, I'm going to go and Mm. walk by the beach because, hey, that's amazing. If it's a rainy day, perfect day to roll out the mat, do some Pilates, do some yoga. Some days I wake up and I don't want to exercise because maybe I'm sore or maybe I'm busy, have a full packed day. That's okay. You're going to skip it. I think as an individual, it's really important to be honest with yourself because we are two people who have had a history of exercise obsession. We have had to go the other way where it's like to skip a workout is a celebration for us. But then other people I know, it's like you can't skip your workout every day and that's feel like that's okay. In my mind, exercise will enrich your life. You'll be healthier, not just in my mind, scientifically as well. As humans, we are not meant to be sedentary. We are meant to move. I'm not telling you how to move. I'm saying I love Pilates. She loves yoga. We teach that. You could try that. You might like it. Lots of benefits. But if you hate it, hey, that's okay. Just go out and walk. Walk for 20 minutes. 20-minute walk every day. Give yourself a day off a week will change your life. If you go from no exercise to 20 minutes of walking a day, boom, life changed. Wait and see. So it's important to be honest with yourself. Sometimes you might just realize, hey, I just sit on the couch and I don't get up because that's me. I'm a lazy person. Nothing against lazy people. I love to be lazy too. I love so much to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. That is a real joy of mine. 
Do you love oh that? Oh my god, I love that. Like I love doing that. It's so much How, fun. It's so good. <laughs> and especially when you have a good show and you're yes. like, please never end. Like that's so <laughs> fun. So keep doing that, but just make sure it's not all the time. Yeah. And of course you can do whatever you want, but if you do care about your health and you do care about the ongoings of your organs and your hormones and all this, know that movement is good for you. And also movement makes you happy. When you exercise, it releases oxytocin, it releases dopamine, it releases endorphins, serotonin. What do these things do? They make us feel good. I mean, what do they say? Like exercise is the most underused form of antidepressant, right? Because it makes you happy. And it's not me saying this, that's scientists, smart people. (laughs) I love that about exercise being the most underused form of antidepressant. I'm writing that down because I don't think I've ever, it doesn't sound like a familiar phrase. I'm sure there's a quote. I think someone else said it, (laughs) but it's just so true, right? Like, it's always that thing, like you never really regret when you go for that walk. Like you go for that walk and you feel like you feel centered, you feel more calm, you feel accomplished because you did some movement, you feel more clear-headed. Maybe you've come up with a great idea and you felt stuck before and now you've come up with the plan or you solved a problem that you had. Like there's so many things that come like when you kind of step away from what you might have been doing before and you kind of like make a little blip in your day, a blip of goodness. And like that's what exercise can be, that moment where you step away from the busyness and the plannedness and you just like move your body for the sake of the movement. Like that's it. This is the whole idea like with what we teach, like with Mary Body. Like, of course, when you do movement and you haven't been moving, your external body will transform. There is just no ifs, no buts. Because if you're doing down dog every single day and you haven't done that before, of course, your arms are going to get stronger. Of course, your core is going to get stronger. That is just what happens when you do something that you've never done before to your body. Your external body will transform. That is just like no ifs, no buts, okay? We've got that ticked off. We don't even need to worry about it. But what if movement could bring so much more to our lives? Like what if we could welcome in more vibrancy, more energy, more focus, more calmness, more groundedness, more connection, more compassion, more kindness, more patience? Like all of these amazing feelings can be created through movement. And I think that is the best thing to realize that our movement is so much more than just transforming this external shell. And you are so much more than what you look like. Like that's the least cool thing about you, what you look like. Like, I want to know more. Tell me like your dreams and your aspirations. Tell me what you're passionate about. Like that's more exciting. I couldn't agree more. And isn't that the beauty of doing podcasts is that they're so mm-hmm. much more about like our voices and not about what we look like on Instagram or, <laughs> you know, it's, I think that's why I felt so drawn to it at this stage of my life. And everything that you just shared is so powerful. The two of you have so many words of wisdom to share and just this overall positive energy that you exude that just feels so comforting and relieving to someone like me who's just really trying to unlearn all of that obsession and the diet culture and the hustle culture and all of those things that have convinced us that we're not inherently worthy or enough. And I'm just deeply grateful for the work that you do and your beautiful website, by the way, I will link to that, of course, in the show description, as well as in the show notes at wellevator.com. So 
in addition to a full transcript for anyone that wants to go back and reread. That's going to be long. I know. It's going to be (laughs) jam-packed. I've been taking notes over here and I'm like just so thrilled and I can't wait to look back at it myself. So for anyone else who wants to read it, you can do that at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. I will link to their podcast, their wonderful website where you can get free workouts to try it out. I mean, it's just so appealing and the messaging you have on there, it's just beautiful. And I I'm thrilled that you're doing that important work. I have one last question that feels like the most important question I've asked this entire time, which is what are your favorite shows to watch on Netflix? (laughs) Oh my God. I feel like I have so many, like I feel like I watch so many shows. Well, you just finished Stranger Things. Oh yeah, I did just watch Stranger Things. Wasn't that so good? It was so good. That show is so good. How do they make it that good? I mean, I don't know. I feel like like that might have been the best season. Like, I was shocked. I went into it kind of begrudgingly and I thought, eh, I think I'm over the show. Like, I don't care, but I'm just going to watch it for the hype. And by the end of season four, I was just like, you know, I can't wait for the next season whenever that comes out. Yeah. So well, another good. three years, maybe. Um, I can't even tell you my favorite show. You love Yellowstone. <laughs> yeah, but that's not even on really? Netflix. I, I am such um, I mean, a weirdo. Like, I, yeah, like I like all like the like American like cowboy like Western. <laughs> That's so funny because that's like the last thing I would watch. Like I'm like so not interested in that. What did I watch? Um, it, I know I feel embarrassed. No, no oh, what about no, Bridgerton? Bridgerton. Oh, Bridgerton. I, I love Bridgerton. Do you like those? You know what? I'm gonna download that to watch on the plane because I was trying to think like what shows will I watch on the airplane? And that's a show that I felt weird that I didn't like it, but I only watched like maybe two episodes. And I've learned that you have to keep watching a lot of these shows. Like two episodes is not enough. You know what show I just gave a second try to that I really enjoyed is a podcast show, Only Murders in the Building. Have you watched that? No, that's like Selena Gomez. Yeah. Did she produce it? Yeah, I want to watch that or listen to that. Yeah, she might be a producer on it. It's about true crime podcasters. So like as fellow podcasters, I feel like it's worth watching because you see them like develop the show. Wrong. I'm so I, she's so um, wrong. That was not Selena Gomez. She has another show though, right? That was a movie. No, that, is, that was a movie. No, that's is Selena that Gomez's show. Yeah, but it's like is a fictional it? thing. Yeah. Oh. So she plays a girl in a building See? where a murder oh, happens. And yes. she and Steve Martin and Martin Short, yes. they all come together to start a podcast about true crime oh. and solving the murder mystery in the building. Wow. Oh my yeah. God, that sounds that so sounds good. Cool. I want to watch that. It's but you really know, I- good. I've also started watching Afterlife with Ricky Gervais. It's the English show. Oh, I tried that and I didn't get into it, but okay. I really liked it. I liked it. But, I mean, it's that sense that he's got that weird English sense of humour and I appreciate that (laughs) and I appreciate the subject matter. I mean, there's so many great shows and I know. I really feel like we always talk about this, like some people beat themselves up about watching too many shows okay, yeah, there is such a thing as too many. But also I feel like you can get a lot out of watching a great show because there's so much work that goes into these shows. There's so much art, cinematography. Like I love admiring the shots 
the storyline, the narrative, the character development. And it's really fun. I know me and Carla enjoy it, you know, to talk about it after. So don't always think that Netflix is really bad for you because sometimes, you know, it's good. It sparks that creativity. Yeah. And sometimes you can learn things from there. Like there might be like, yeah, exactly. Spark of creativity or like you actually might learn something about yourself. Like when you see it in another character. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's always like there's a reason why we watch the shows and it's because like we get enjoyment, but we can also learn from them yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. I just like love all the shows. And on that note, you have to watch Only Murders in the Building because okay. Okay. it is so well written. It's one of the better written TV shows I've seen in a while, but also their artistic choices in their shots. Like they do so many cool, unique things like, I'm not even going to share examples because they don't make any sense out of context, but moments of they take you out of the experience for a second. You're like, wait a second. I wasn't expecting that. What does that mean? That's so cool. And it was a brilliantly done show in a very unique way. So I think you're destined to try this one out. (laughs) And I absolutely agree. Because it also gives us, opportunity to bond like that excitement people have now. I mean, it's a great thing to talk about, but I absolutely agree that like a good show brings this like, it's a lot like reading a great book. It's not exactly the same, but you find yourself going on a journey. And I think sometimes we use that as a way to step out of our stress and challenges. And if we can couple that with everything else that we've talked about today, then Certainly there's room and just like food, watching TV should not be this like bad thing that you have to earn. If you feel like sitting down and binge watching a show, like find the joy in that. I certainly do. And I still have plenty of time to enjoy meals and work out or move my body and have conversations. Like people would probably be amazed how much TV I'm able to watch and still do everything else that I do. (laughs) I like it. Like I feel like if I just wrote down my schedule, it would be a great example of how you can do so much and find all of that balance and that Merry feeling, which the word Mary, I'm so glad you've integrated into your <laughs> business because it's kind of an underused word. I think yeah. because it's so related to Christmas, like it's probably not the best <laughs> business name. Yeah, but, like um, a lot of people think like, oh, okay, like are you a Christmas a Christmas blog? Like, no, like that was in the beginning. Like in the beginning, yes. Like now it's kind of like, you know, it's been 10 years. So like it is that kind of solid brand there. But like, you know, new people are like, oh, so what's that about? But I mean to merry make means to bring joy to. So like that was the beginning of the blog and because the blog brought us so much joy and we loved sharing. And so we can't turn our back on that. Like that is the beginning. That is so part of us and it is special. I like it. (laughs) It really is. And it's brought me so much joy. So you've certainly accomplished that. And I imagine others listening to this show are going to be so thrilled. So go to their Instagram, their wonderful website, their podcast. That's all linked for the listener in the description of this episode, as well as in the show notes at wellevator.com. Thank you, Emma and Carla, for bringing me all of these positive emotions and giving me things to ponder and think about in terms of my relationship with food and movement. I'm deeply honored to have you here today and just be in your presence. Thank you so much for having us. We feel exactly the same way.
Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.